As I approached these last few weeks of serving as your interim pastor, I thought about many great passages of scripture and many important messages to leave with you. I am led this morning to focus on the subject of truth. And that was the issue 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on trial before Pilate, the Roman governor of all Israel. Um, I show you again a painting that I have put up before. It is a painting that uh, was uh, completed in 1871 by uh, a a painter named Antonio Cesare. And um, I, I think Antonio really was acquainted with the subject which he chose to paint, Jesus on trial before Pilate. Uh, he read carefully to see that uh, the Jewish authorities did not enter Pilate's residence or palace for this was the day of preparation for the Passover. Uh, This was the day before that day of preparation. And they would not have been able to be purified in time to celebrate Passover if they had entered the residence of this Gentile ruler from Rome. Um, So he has captured... Uh, without detail of the mob and the authorities calling for the death of Jesus, he has simply captured them by the posture of Pilate, who is leaning over and gesturing back to the figure of Jesus. Jesus is at rest. Pilate is in a stream. Notice the postures. Even with supreme power and authority, Pilate is caught in a dilemma. He finds no reason to approve the execution of this man, Jesus. But he cannot quiet the fury uh, of the Jewish religious leaders and the mob they had brought together and fired up. Pilate is in a dilemma. We should be sure that Pilate does not simply represent authority over Israel. He represents authority of the entire Roman Empire. He, in in doing that, Pilate represents the world. We have the world placing Jesus on trial. So our sermon text is in the Gospel according to John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 38, and it's only six verses out of John's 29 verses describing that trial in which Jesus was back and forth from Pilate to Herod and then back to Pilate 
and that Pilate was with Jesus and then addressing the crowd and back to Jesus and then addressing the crowd and finally washing his hands of responsibility for the death of Jesus. I invite you to join in prayer as we ask God to help us look at this incident again. Lord, we thank you for uh, speaking to us and always speaking the truth to us. We thank you that you have done so for a long, long time. And you have provided for your speech to us to be remembered and written and translated and provided millions and millions of copies to the world. But still, Lord, the world struggles to pay attention to your words. We are here because we have been called by you and you have taught us to love you and to love what you say to us. So we ask you to help us understand when we slow down and read even small portions of your word. We ask your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's listen to this word from the gospel according to John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own? Or did others tell you about me? Jesus gave that moment uh, to Pilate as an opportunity for Pilate to become a human being and not just a figure of authority. Did you ask this on your own? Are you wanting to know who I am? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born. Now I want you to be careful here. Was When Jesus said, for this I was born, was he referring to what he just said before or what comes next? You say that I am a king. For this I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him this famous question, what is truth? 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. What is truth? Pilate asks. What is truth? The world asks. And God answers in his word. The volume of the New Testament, the amount of words in the New Testament, is only one-fourth of the volume and words in the Old Testament. The word truth appears in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But the word truth appears three times as much in the New Testament as it does in all of the Old Testament. Suddenly, the word truth is so much more important, so much a struggle. Whether this was because of the Greek philosophers and the Roman Empire consuming the entire known world, that the question of truth was more important, or whether it surrounded the fact that God had entered his world physically. Truth appears in Matthew 30 times. The word truth is found in Matthew 30 times. 29 of those times, it is just Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, and then he said something to them. Jesus prefaced truthful things he was saying to them Again and again and again, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. Wow. Only once in Matthew's gospel was he not just saying, I tell you the truth. The same is true in the gospel according to Mark and the gospel according to Luke. The word truth is ten times in Mark and is found 15 times in the gospel according to Luke. And again, in all but one, in Mark, one time in Mark and one time in Luke, all the rest are, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. When Pilate asked that question, the answer was standing right in front of him. Jesus said almost every time he taught, it seems, I tell you the truth over and over and over again. Jesus spoke those words. And we would be hard pressed to find another voice in all of the Bible that said those words even once. Jesus spoke with authority and backed up his words with stunning acts of power over life and death and even the forces of nature. But something more appeared in the gospel according to John. Uh, John wrote his account of the gospel after the other three accounts were written. 
Mark is considered to have been written first, and then Matthew and Luke. Beginning in the 60s and going into the 70s, somewhere in a 20-year framework of time, the first three Gospels came out, and they, uh, Matthew and Luke both had copies of Mark and were reading Mark and adding to what Mark said. Some time goes on, and then the fourth gospel. The first three are called the synoptic gospels. Syn, S-Y-N, not S-I-N. S-Y-N is the Greek word for together, and optic means sight. So we consider that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are three views together of the gospel, but John's is different. And John's gospel is believed by most scholars today to have been written in the 90s when John was an old man. He was perhaps one of the youngest, if not the youngest disciple, uh, historians believe. The younger brother of James, son of Zebedee, and a woman named Salome. John that son of Zebedee could have lived longer than the other apostles. People did live to old ages in those days. It was just with the number of deaths of the youngest children to diseases and to, to childbirth that the average age of people was uh, much younger than it is today. But that did not mean that no one lived to be 80 or 90. They did, and John was one of them. He probably wrote from Ephesus, and John added stories and a perspective that we did not find in the first three gospel accounts. John saw, uh, mir saw that the miracles Jesus worked were signs or symbols of deeper things. Thus, when Jesus did the miracle uh, at Cana, the first one, uh, early in his ministry, after coming from the Jordan River with some of his disciples already, they first went to Cana in Galilee, and there he turned water into wine. And John writes, this was the first of his signs that he did at Cana in Galilee. So John saw uh, signs and symbols in the things that Jesus did. He saw the, the depth which uh, we need to see too. Um, John had more time to reflect than the earlier uh, accounts of the gospel. He'd lived a long time had communicated uh, all of these truths of the gospel all during his ministry, but then toward the end of his life, he not only writes his account of the gospel, but we also have three brief letters from the Apostle John. Um, John's account of Jesus focuses on deep themes of life, light, love, and truth. 
John gave us many more wonderful conversations that Jesus had with his disciples and with his opponents, long conversations. John gave us more of what Jesus said about the truth. The next slide I've asked to put up says this, the word truth appears in John's account of the gospel 50 times, not five, not 10, not 30, 50 times. And his is not the longest of the four gospel accounts. Only half, though, of what of the occurrences of the word truth in John's account of the gospel, only half of them, 25, are I tell you the truth. The other 25, the word truth is about the subject of truth, the importance of truth. The words of Jesus about truth and the words of John himself about truth. Uh, I give you four examples that you will recognize, perhaps except, uh, all except for the fourth one. So reading four portions of John's account of the gospel where he speaks about truth, certainly we, we would begin with chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John goes on to write some more and then picks up again in verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the father's only son, full of grace and truth. This portion is called the prologue of John. It's been studied and studied and studied. It contains extremely important words for us. One of those is grace and truth. Therein lies the balance for those who teach about Jesus, for those who learn about Jesus, and all of us who live with Jesus and for Jesus. Grace and truth are to be kept together. Grace is love. Love without truth is love off the tracks. Love that is not love. All sorts of definitions of love. Truth is important for love. But love is just as important for truth. For we are admonished by the Apostle Paul Speaking the truth in love, grow up in every way into Christ, into maturity. Truth, love, love and truth always must be kept together in learning, teaching, living as the people of Jesus Christ. The second, next slide in chapter 8 of John are these famous words, 
Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You will know the truth, and, you will, and the truth will make you free. But how will you know the truth? And how will you be made free by truth if you continue in my word? You are truly, truthfully my disciples. In chapter 14, we have these familiar words. You know that chapter begins, we read it frequently, almost every time at a memorial service or funerals. Um, you believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not I am the way, I know the truth, I am the way, I am the truth. What is truth? Truth was standing right in front of Pilate. He could have reached out and touched the truth. I leave you uh, also one final one that you might not be as familiar with. It's in chapter 16. There are several sections in 16 which deal with this, but I've captured this one for you. Verse 13 says, Jesus is speaking, and he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will speak, he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We sing our praise of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We use the term the Holy Spirit a lot. We rarely use the term the Spirit of truth. It's not a feeling of truth. It is God is the truth. Whether God is invisible, eternal, always there beyond us, beyond the universe, creator of the universe, God is the truth. Father is the, tr is the truth, the Son is the truth, and the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. We need to look to the Spirit of God to keep learning the truth and recognizing that ministry of God's Spirit dwelling with us. Here's my point this morning.
for us. Faith should be built on the truth. Jesus, God incarnate, is the truth. Listen to him. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice, Jesus told Pilate. Belonging to the truth is belonging to Jesus. Belonging to Jesus is belonging to the truth. It is enormously important. And in no era more than the era we live in, in the 21st century. Voices are around us always, all day long. They are voices from around the world and from every conceivable philosophy and point of view. We can be lost without knowing the truth. Everyone who grows in Christ will grow in the truth. My encouragement for this congregation looking forward is that you will have a passion for growing in truth. I have too many conversations, casually, spontaneously, with old, old friends, and they keep coming out with the most remarkable ignorance of their own faith after decades of belonging to their churches. It is a sad realization. And my encouragement for you and challenge for you is that this would be a congregation that steps out from the norm, that does not follow the drift and decline of many congregations around our country and that it would be because there is a passion for the truth among each of you, all of us individually. What can we each do to learn better and know what we know and be able to share what we know? We do not share. We are not verbal with our friends not because we're afraid, unless it's simply we're afraid we don't know what we should know. We won't be able to answer their questions. I encourage you to consider being an uncommon congregation with a commitment to a Christ who is the truth. Study, learn, question, Discuss, remember, and know that you know. Genuine worship, joyful worship, flows out of knowing the truth. What a strong congregation Grand Lakes Presbyterian Church would be if many of its members could answer the question, what is the truth? What is the truth about God? What is the truth about creation? 
What is the exciting truth about the universe that we, more than any generation before us, are able to reach into 13.7 billion years? The best in science measures the age of the universe. The amazing thing that we should celebrate is that only recently, um, with the scientist, the astronomer, physicist Hubble, uh, was the first uh, in the realm of science to say, from science's point of view, the universe had a beginning. What is the truth about the universe? What is the truth about life and death and eternal life? What is the truth about other religions, other gods, no God? What is the truth about other genders, many genders, fluid genders? What is the truth about critical race theory, about education, about quality of education. What is the truth about so many things today? What is the truth about the decline of life in our American cities and cities around the world? Why is life more difficult when humans get together? in mass numbers? What is the truth about the seeming rise of violence and killing? Even in our day, in our communities around us, we don't want to be like the frog in the boiling pot, slowly boiling more and more and more until we're done for. We need to be awake. We need to be warned. We need to know the truth. We need to be working on that together and not be afraid. And consider that one of the most important things we can do with our time. Whether we're retired or still working or just starting school, we need to be engaged across generations no place better than a congregation. We need to be engaged with learning and growing and knowing across age groups. It should be a joy to teach our children. We should think about that instead of many other things we think about. We should enjoy no matter whether they want to be with us or not when we're older. We should become good at relating across generations. It should happen in this congregation and in our homes. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Coming to the Father, being in a relationship with the Creator of all that is. 
is an amazing thing to wrap your head around. It's why we're here. It's not habit. It's not habit. It's a privilege. I commend all of you for how regular you all are. For your spirits, your spirit with each other. Got one more thing to share with you next week. He is the way, the truth, and the life. None of us come to the Father except through him. We are called to live in that truth, and we are called to proclaim that truth. Not just here, not just now, but all through the week, every day, anywhere, anytime. What an exciting people we all have an opportunity to be in Christ. Amen. I invite you now to join in our prayers this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful that you are so patient with us. We are thankful that you understand it takes time for things to grow, time for children to grow, time for families to grow, time for congregations to grow, time for everything to grow, and you give us time. We thank you that you have made yourself very visible to us, allowed yourself to live among us, be lived with day and night, 24 hours a day, for three years, surrounded by hundreds of human beings who are drawn to you. We thank you that you made yourself visible, examinable, tested, questioned, so that those who were with you could say, this is the truth. He has told us the truth. He is the truth. We thank you for helping us build our lives on truth. You said we were created in your, in your image, and you are an amazing thinker, knower, creator. We pray that you would help us again on this journey. Help us in new ways in our particular gathering in this congregation. We thank you dearly for each other. Uh, we thank you for walking with each of us and helping us to love each other. We pray especially for those who are in stress in these days and weeks. We continue to pray for those who have lost loved ones, who are learning to live in a new way. Uh, we pray for John Rainwater and his family and many of the other families in this congregation. We pray for those who have had recent surgery, Lord, and are healing. We thank you for the surgery for Barbara McCafferty, for Lovey Price's surgery, for Fern Baker's surgery. Uh, we, we thank you for healing them. Uh, we pray for Gavin Morgan and John Jackson, 